Welcome to another episode of the Head of Nations podcast. I'm your host, Brian, and across from me is your co-host, Ben. So, Ben, two in a row. What is up with that? I know. That's new in my nation. Is, is that what's new? <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you tell me what is new? Um, t- this this week is it's our first week of, of wrestling season. So, I mean, like, wrestling season has started, but mm-hmm. now matches are starting. So, it's been pretty cool to talk with my son about about leading on the team now. It's just the second year and first year, second year, those are in the same class, but second years are usually the leaders in the class. So we've been having conversations about leadership, which has been very good. And he's been very receptive to it and listening to his coach. So just very encouraged by that. And it's almost Christmas, which is around my house, very exciting time. And I think my kids got the Christmas crazies. So they're like very excited all the time. My youngest son is asking every night, when is Santa, how many more sleeps until mm. Santa comes? So, you know, so we're just, tr- I'm trying, personally, I'm trying to harness this Advent season, this time, this preparation time and excitement. I'm really trying to show Christ in it. And so, like, that's been the theme of, of prayer time and, mm. and, you know, and trying to bring it up in discussion with the little ones. Um, for me personally... And for that my family, my nation would be that me and my family would be focused on Christ at Christmas. That's that's what's going on in my nation right now. So That's cool. We're also doing something similar where we've read through the Matthew account mm-hmm. in our devotions over a few days. We read smaller passages. You know, my kids are little, they're you know, ten and eight, and so reading through large chunks in one sitting is kind of difficult for their attention span. So we read through Matthew and then we read through Luke and we read just the very beginning of Mark, which just hops into the ministry. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really even hop into anything else outside of that. And then we're in John right now where it's the real, like in the beginning where, you know, my kids are like, well, where's, where's Christmas in that? Like, where's, Mm -hmm. Where's the birth of Christ? And I'm like, read the first words mm-hmm. in the beginning and like trying to get like Christ has always existed. Like yeah. in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. Where it's like, we don't think about that often enough. I feel like we think about the incarnation, which is awesome, yeah. and which was necessary for our salvation. But like the pre-existence of mm-hmm. Christ, like we see that baby yeah. in the manger, but do we think enough on the fact that that baby was God? Yeah. The word became flesh oh. and dwelt among us. Yeah. Yeah. Something bigger than, that's what Augustine said, right? It was something bigger than the world was in a, a stable in a manger. Isn't that crazy yeah. to think about? My, my wife has been talking about this. I just want to riff on this for a quick second before yeah. we get to the passage of the week. So we have goats and I built a hay manger. When we first got goats, I took some pallets and so I cut pieces out of pallets and I made a hay manger. It looks just like what you would see in a nativity scene, like a real a life-size nativity scene. It's a full-size hay manger. And now my goats think it's a bed, so they sleep in the hay manger. It's that's very weird. But huh. yeah, and they've done that since I built it. But that's a side note. My wife was talking about like, can you imagine laying the very son of God yeah. Yeah. in a manger? Mm-hmm. Like, it just is unfathomable that you have God incarnate and where is he first placed mm-hmm. in a feeding trough? Yeah. 
like the humility that's shown there. Yeah. Yeah. Like we, we don't have something elegant enough, supple enough to place the son of God in on earth period. Mm -hmm. But he's placed in a manger, a feeding trough. Like that, that just shows how lowly, how, how low he came, Mm -hmm. how he condescended. There's a positive connotation there to us to become like us. He wasn't on Giza sheets, you know, 2000 thread count sheets, right? He was in a feeding trough. And so that's our example. Just yes. Wild. Yes. That willingness to lower ourselves in our own sight to take on that Christ-like character sometimes. Yeah, just yeah. that's just a side note. But and even, yeah. I mean, and even when he's full grown and when he goes to the cross, like he, and the crown that he bears is a, is a crown of thorns. That, right. He's, and he's wearing, and it's, it's like, and I, I think I read it somewhere. I probably read it in Lewis and that's going uh, yeah, to say it a lot. Up. Yeah. Um, but that, that the crown that he wears, if he is our example as a man, that's our crown. You know, I mean, the, the crown that, that we are given, we're given a crown like his, and it should be a crown. Of, let it be a crown of thorns. Crown of suffering. Yeah. 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 And, and, and not like, oh, you know, what was me and, you know, self-deprecation, but it is, it's self-denial. Mm-hmm. It's suffering for others. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's going to think of others before the self and, and, and lift them up. Yeah. And bearing that proudly. Yeah. yeah. Because our, our king did. Yes. Yeah. Oof. Wow. And we're not even to the topic yet. What the heck? All right, so let's get into the passage of the week this week, which comes from Genesis chapter 2. So Genesis chapter 2. So we'll start with verse 20. Oh, let's go to 19. All right, so now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So this is the creation of woman, where there, this is just such a deep passage to me. Like The layers in this past, passage that could be unpacked are almost infinite. Like It's not good for man to be alone. Hmm. There's something we could unpack over the course of an hour or two, but it's not good that man is alone. It's not good for man to be alone. So God's going to make a suitable helper and the suitable helper and the suitable helper, despite dogs being man's best friend or other pets that we may be attached to that have been domesticated animals. It's not an animal. It's a woman that God makes to be a helper or a partner for man. And so like when we look at our wives as married men, or if you're looking for a wife as a single man, which is what you should be doing you should be looking for a life partner, a wife. If you're looking there, you should be looking for someone that compliments you, not compliments, but compliments you, that is essentially your other half, your partner, that is able to be a help for you in life. So I just, I love this passage, and I think it's so deep. Then we have the 
leaving and cleaving going on as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, but I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, where do you start? I think though the, the distinction between man and woman here is while they're, they're similar for sure. And she even comes out of him, but they're not the same. Mm -hmm. It's not another Adam was created. And I don't mean like, Oh, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. I'm not trying to say that, but I am saying that God made his intention was to made them distinct to fit. And this is where we begin. This is where the, the story of, of man and woman begin in a place where we were made for each other, united as husband and wife for one another to populate the world without shame and seemingly with, with all joy. I mean, because we were united with God too. So I don't know. I mean, like where, I don't know what, what else, where else we can go um, that won't take us five hours because mm. this is such a, just a rich chapter in the Bible. But I think that it, it's certainly one that we need to, well, we will be referencing throughout this episode. Before we do, I just have to hop back in for a minute. Do it. Okay. So in Genesis one, and I, I've talked about this one other time, I think it might've been in the first episode, episode one. All right. Uh, no, it was in the Dominion episode. It wasn't, I don't know what was that like episode seven. So anyway, um, this is the call for man and woman. And I think this is super cool. So man and woman together. So for mankind, God said, this is in verse 28 of chapter one, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So th- that, that subdue is a warfare term. It's, like a, it's actually like a conquest term. So like we as man and woman, it's like when you think of your wife, husband and wife, you against the world, like that's the call literally here in the Bible. It's like, go out, fight the earth and subdue it. Bend it to your will according to my will is implied, you know, according to God's will, but bend it to your will. Let it serve your purposes for that, which is good. And so as woman is made, there's this idea like you two are a couple that's going to go literally take on the world. And so in our kingdoms here, like, you know, if you're the king, you and your queen, you're going taking on the world. Mm -hmm. You're leading in that, right? Mm -hmm. But there's this, there is a conquest aspect to the creation of man and woman together Hmm. just letting that drop and then we can move into our topic Hmm. so ben what's our topic for the week well if i could use the phrase priestesses Mm -hmm. i might use that priestesses in the church to quote c.s lewis yeah so we're talking about essentially the topic of that that has come up before and that comes up periodically when i teach different classes at my church um, or just having discussions with people is what is the role of women in the church? Can women be pastors essentially is like the, yes, or, or priestesses if, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, I guess to preface this whole conversation, I think, you know, I can, I think I can speak for Brian here when I say that women are, what, what we're about to say, we're not assuming women are less intelligent less valuable, 
correct? We're less yeah, holy, we're, right? We're, what we're what we're assuming here is that there are, are different God-given roles. Yes, and God has made each of us for these roles. Yeah, yeah. So that's where that's where I'm going to start is because I, I think the the church has been kind of shown in this light where you know it's it's regressive. It's old-fashioned. We need to get with the times, progress, and feminism, and everything like that. Because, well, there's no reasonable, there's no rational reason that women can't do what men can. In our world, they can mm. do everything that a man can do. Correct. Well, in in this case, in the church, for a long time, a long time, they weren't necessarily looked at to be the pastors or the the priests of the church. Does it mean that women weren't teachers? No, it seems like women definitely were prophetesses. There's examples of that. But does that mean that they are to be the the priests or the pastors, the head, even the head pastors of the church? So that's what I'm how I'm understanding this, right? I wouldn't even just say head pastors. I would say in a leadership role in a, over adults. So you would say even deacons. Oh yes, I'm going to go there, which I will. I, I will go there. Okay. Uh, which and I, I, I have I think a, a solid scriptural case for this. But I mean, let me say this: the ch- there are churches that I think are staffed with believers that don't do this that that do allow female deacons and female pastors, and just because they do it doesn't mean it's the right way to do it, mm-hmm. right? Like just because God has tolerance for yeah. our mistakes doesn't mean those mistakes are right, is the way I look at this. Yeah. No, I agree with you there, because I think that, that's. I don't know why that's, I don't know why that's an argument for, to, to make someone's case. Well, mm-hmm. my my church has a woman pastor, and it's it's fine. And it's just like, that's, no, 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 <laughs> you're missing, should it yeah. be? Just yes, because it, exa- it is that yes. way, does it, it ought, should, should it be that way? And is that's it, where, yes. kind of asking that question. Is it the God-prescribed way to do it? Yeah. If it's not, then... It doesn't matter if there are exceptions where people do it. It's still incorrect. Mm-hmm. So let's get to, so here's where um, I typically land when this question comes up. I go to scripture and scripture should be the benchmark for any biblical decision we're making, right? We get our rules from the Bible. We get our guidelines and frameworks from the Bible. So I'm going to read from 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Timothy 3. So here we go. I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. Right? So there's that. And then we go to, here's the list for overseers and deacons or for elders and deacons. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife. I'm just going to stop there. The husband of but one wife. It doesn't say the wife of one husband. It's the husband of one wife. Deacons likewise are to be men, worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine. Right, Um, And we go down to verse 12. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and his household well. So even here we see the requirement for deacon, husband of one wife, the requirement of an elder, husband of one wife. I don't know how you can be a female husband of one wife. Mm. 
I don't like honestly. Mm-hmm. And then in taken with First Timothy two, just before that, where Paul is saying, I I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. If you are an elder, you're in authority over men and women. Mm-hmm. So just those two taken together, mm-hmm. I don't see how that's possible. Now give me one more second. Mm-hmm. The big where people are like, whoa, whoa, hold the train here. Like, let's back that train up. Okay, Brian, what about Romans 16 1? I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church, and Centria. So the word used for servant is diakonos, mm-hmm. which is where we get our word deacon. But deacon can mean two things. It can be used in the official capacity of deacon in the church, which Paul is talking about in 1 Timothy 3. Mm-hmm. It's also a colloquial term for servant. Mm-hmm. So people will point to that and they'll say, there's a female deacon. Mm-hmm. But that word is also just a very general word for servant. So and the NIV translates it servant. It doesn't translate it. Like some, some passages, like some translations, they'll say deaconess. Mm-hmm. Right? But it's translated servant here. I feel like when you look at 1 Timothy 3, when you look at Romans 16, if the Bible is non-contradictory, it has to be servant is the translation. Like she's she serves the church well. Like there are women in our church, like at my church, there's a woman every Sunday morning. She is like after it. Mm-hmm. She sets up, we have like this hospitality table with yeah. like snacks and stuff. Yeah. Like she's there early. She is serving the church. If you ask me who's a faithful servant in the church, I would say her, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So just because she's a servant of the church doesn't mean she's a deaconess. Mm -hmm. And so I think that scripturally, and there are other passages we can go to as well, but I think scripturally, when you look at 1 Timothy 3 and 1 Timothy 2, I don't know biblically any argument you can make that supports the position that women can be pastors Mm -hmm. or deacons for that matter, or elders. The only argument is, but it's 2023. Yep. And that's not a biblical or scriptural argument. Well, and that's the that's the thing here is that like, while I might I might push back on the deaconess one, I think it's like splitting hairs at, when I when it comes down to it. Um, but I do believe that women elders and overseers, pastors, I think that's a that's a no go if, if we're a Christian, and I think that. If it doesn't sit well with you, I'd like to kind of ask you why. And I think mm-hmm. you, the answer is because it's because of our cultural context. Because it's 2023. Right. Yeah. And it's like, if the Bible doesn't mesh well with that, like, good. It, it ought not to. You know? Like, we've, we live naturally without the Bible in a fairy fiction world, right? I mean, it's not, it's, it's not real. The Bible makes puts us in reality it clears things up for us and so we have to live in reality where there is god-given god-ordained distinction between man and woman if we live in fiction world we're still you know we're still living not real lives Mm -hmm. lives that are that are opposed to what i believe to be the reality that god made Mm -hmm. and so it should it should sound peculiar to our twenty well to to our wherever we are in history it should mm-hmm. sound a little bit odd, so let it let it sound odd. You know? Yeah, yeah, and I think that's where 
if we start saying, well, it's 2023, we don't live in the stone ages mm -hmm. anymore, mm -hmm. let's allow women to be pastors. Well, that's not a very far cry from, well, it's 2023, this whole like homosexuality being a sin mm -hmm. thing, like that's so outdated. I mean, it's 2023. So, I mean, maybe that was true in biblical times that women shouldn't be pastors and homosexuality is a sin, but like it, it's, it, it can't be true today. And then you start pulling on that thread a little more yeah. and we start compromising on other beliefs of what sin is and isn't. Like, for example, so for example, you think about living together before marriage. Culturally, back in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, most people would tell you that's wrong. Today, most people would see no problem with that. And in fact, in, in churches, in a lot of churches, people see no problem with that. So it's 2023. Why do we hold people to a standard of you can't live together until you're married if we're being biblical? Well, because scripture would call that fornication and that's a sin just as gossip is a sin or lying is a sin or stealing is a sin. So if we keep giving ground to the culture and compromising on what scripture says, where do we stop? Yeah. That's my question here. Like we have to hold the line somewhere and the line we should hold is scripture says this, therefore it's true, regardless of what the culture says. And if it makes me uncomfortable, I need to take that to God. Yeah, I need to have God pray to him to help me to submit to his plan and his will instead of wanting to submit to the culture over God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's going to be dependent on the definitions of an elder or overseer that we find in scripture that are clear. Def These aren't confusing definitions. Mm -hmm. It might be confusing to us in our day and age while we choose to live and abide by them. Okay, let that let it be confusing. We're turning our backs on fiction. We're turning toward reality. Mm -hmm. So we try to figure this out. And so it's like, well, how, how does the Bible portray a, an overseer? It's going to be distinctly masculine. Mm -hmm. But why is that the case? Because men are the best? Well, no, not, not at all. It's because... God has designed it that way. God has designed men to be in those positions. Why? Now we're asking the right question, I mm -hmm. think. Why did he make it so? Especially when God is, you know, we throw this in there. God is without gender. You know, you hear that all the time. Mm -hmm. God, yeah. Like he's Not above, yeah. he's uh -huh. transcendent, so he doesn't have a gender. Like, like we have gender. It's like, okay, so what's, what do you mean by that? At the same time, I want to answer that question. I, I want to sidestep that question because I think it's fruitless. But do you yeah, have something? Do, well, do I just want to be clear that we both believe that God is masculine in the sense? Maybe you don't, but but every reference to God is a masculine pronoun. He one hundred percent. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And that's yes. so. It's like while he is okay. So we want to say he's without gender. Whatever. Okay. But when he describes himself and he tells us to pray to him, it's our Father. It's not, it's never our mother, right? Mm -hmm. So we would be opposing Scripture if we we're going to assign a. a, a a gender other than masculine to God. It's against scripture. It's against him, his word, and his, his instruction. Yeah, he's chosen to reveal himself in this way. Mm -hmm. So that brings us back to that question, though. Why should men only be priests, pastors, elders, overseers? Why should we? And I think it's interesting when I, I read C.S. Lewis in this in this essay. Can I can I go here? Do it. Send it. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. And it's 
it is su- the essay is called, and that's why I, I chose my. I don't have a priest. I have a pastor. I go to a Baptist church. Just want to be clear about that. I also have a pastor. Okay. Just whatever. So, priestesses in a church is what it's. Well, with a question mark, he asked the question: priestesses in the church? Question mark. And for him, this was not. This was something that was up. Like what? <laughs> you know, like why would we be considering this back in his day? Which is hilarious because in our day, I mean, he is saying some stuff that's. That's, I would say it's prophetic. It's wild. But he talks about images actually leading to our understanding of a thing, that God created images for us to understand a greater reality. Mm. So they point to something that is true, that reflects him, his relationship to us, his love for us, his union with us, his plan for us, all of that. And so it's like, if we start pulling out that thread of there's no distinction between the roles of a male and a female, we start pulling out the thread of like the very nature and character of God that we get in scripture. And that's where I'm like, I really want to push back on you know, on the cultural and the, the new way of the church which would mean, well, women, you know, which would be women can do, you know, can, can be pastors just like men can, can be pastors. But I'm saying you're going to lose the image, and that image is part of our understanding of the, of the nature of God. So yeah, you got something. Yeah, so, you know, I'm, I'm looking at that concept of image, all right? So I look at this, and we, if you're a fan of the book of Hebrews— in Hebrews chapter 9, Paul talks about the tabernacle being yes. essentially an image of the heavenly realm. Yes. And he really talks about the concept of this is an image, even the system of sacrifice. He says, this is an illustration for the present time. This is in verse 9, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper, right? So, like, the sacrifice was an image of the sacrifice of Christ. The tabernacle is an image of that which is in heaven. So, that's why, he explains, everything had to be made precisely to exact specifications because it's a copy. It's an image of the real. So, we do understand, a lot of times, the real through images, yeah. yeah. Continue anyway. Yeah, and I think that image of you know, let's think of the image the, this the image of the marriage relationship, um, the the sexual nature of that. Um, it it describes and, and shows the the mystery of the union between Christ and the church. And then I, I even I have this quote, this amazing quote that Lewis says: "We have no authority to take the living figures." which God has painted on the canvas of our nature and shift them about as if they were mere geometrical figures. We have no authority to do oh. that. And I'm like, oh, man, that's good. Um, but I, it's, what's going to be missed is eventually, I mean, we get to, I think we get to the gospel. So a lot of people are going to push back and, and say, though, that, men make bad leaders and so because or wait 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 what if we what if we are running out of of men 
who want to be pastors, you know, or what if there aren't many men available mm-hmm. and, uh, or the men are bad leaders or something like that. The solution would be to have women who are educated, who are just as holy and prayerful, um, just as, 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 as willing and able to teach, maybe even better teachers than man, uh, than, than, than men. Why don't they be the, the pastors? Like, as if that's a, that's a solution, you know? And, and I'm like, well, Let's think through that. Would that actually be a, a thing that would fix our problems to have a, a you know a woman inter be kind of interchanged with with a man or vice versa? Like, would that would what would we be losing there? And I think that well, I mean, there, there's an example in this essay which I, I do want to read. Um, here's the example: uh, It is no cure to call in those who are not masculine at all. A given man may make a very bad husband. You cannot mend matters by trying to reverse the roles. So bad husband, that means, oh, the wife has to take on the role of the husband. The wife be the husband, yeah. Or he may make a bad male partner in a dance. The cure for for that is that men should be more diligently attending dance classes. Not that the ballroom should henceforward ignore distinctions of sex and treat all dancers as neuter. So men have to be more masculine in order to be, you know, to, to fill these roles. It's not, oh, we need women to take, to take on this role to, you know, to, to answer all the problems. It's like, no, men be men. And that means take on this role. Can't be for a woman. And I think that right there actually is, has, has produced for centuries good fruit, healthy communities. Perfect community? No. For sure, there are definitely bad examples of this, but I think that this, if we model it right, if it actually is is modeled under the reality of Christ and his church, Christ and his bride, then I think that that's going to set us up for good church, good family structure, and I think it can actually have benefits in in the real world, in society, but it's got to look different. can't Mm -hmm. be the same. Yeah, exactly, and I think what you're saying just highlights the besetting sin of most men, which is passivity. Gosh, yeah. Yeah. And why aren't there men leading? Well, passivity. So what's the solution? The solution is to be more masculine, be less passive and be more willing to lead. Now I will say this. And I just, the first thing I thought when you said, well, there aren't enough men. So women step up. What if there aren't enough straight pastors? Does that mean that we ignore the sin of homosexuality. Mm. Like what if there aren't any pastors that are actually not fornicating? Mm. Like, you know, what if, you know, know, like what if we say, well, you know, guys will be guys and yeah, yeah, this pastor is a philanderer, but we actually need someone to fill the pulpit. We would never, he's he's a good teacher. So (laughs) we would never say that. We would never, ever say that he would be disqualified based on the list of characteristics in first Timothy chapter three right? So we wouldn't say, oh, you know, well, he's a brawler. You know, he gets into fights every week and he's in and out of jail, drinks but you a, know, drinks a little bit too much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's a drunkard. He's habitually drunk, but you know, it's, he, he just, when he delivers that message, it's, it's so good. We wouldn't say that. We'd be like, no, you can't work here in our church anymore. Yeah. Right. His heart's in the right place. Yeah. So <laughs> why are we so stalwart mm. on some of the qualifications but not on all of them. Mm. The qualifications are the qualifications. And here, here's what, okay, I'm just going to send it. Send it. 
here's what I think Satan does in our churches specifically in the world, but instead of men settling into masculinity and women settling into femininity and all the roles that they're given by God, very important roles are given by God. Satan says, you know, women, you should compete against the man. You should be the man. Look at what all the men get to do. You should be them because guess what they're not doing when they're trying to be men. They're not doing the things that God has called them to that, that produce fruit in a family. Like I think of Mrs. Wesley who raised Charles and John Wesley. And if you don't like the Wesleys, Hey, you know, okay. But they were godly men. You don't have to like their ideas about sanctification or second work of grace, but they were godly men. I mean, John Wesley rode somewhere around a quarter of a million miles on horseback in his lifetime preaching the gospel. But his mother had, I think she had 13 kids. It's either 11 or 13. I'm off the cuff on there this There were a one. lot of them. I think it was 13. And she spent five minutes every day specifically with each child individually mm. sharing about Christ with them. Yeah. And that produced a harvest of holiness like the work of that mother in that household teaching her children nurturing her children and spending five minutes a day individually like i've got two kids you know how hard it is to spend five minutes alone with my with one of my children a day as soon as i start talking to one child i love my children it's great but the other kids they're talking they're both talking at the same time oh, yeah she spent five minutes alone with each child every day. And John Wesley rode a quarter of a million miles on horseback. He would sometimes preach four sermons a Sunday. Four a Sunday. So he's, he's probably in his lifetime, he probably preached tens of thousands of sermons, reached hundreds of thousands of people. Charles Wesley wrote some of the most impactful hymns that are still in the hymn books. That If your church sings hymns, they should be singing those hymns, right? That reached the ears and shared the gospel through music to hundreds of thousands of people. The impact of that mother spans generations. It, it, like we're still talking about the Wesleys yes. and the impact that the Wesleys had, right. right? Satan doesn't want that. So what does he say? Compete with the man, mm. right? So, what he, that, so instead of saying, this is my role, thank you, God, I will do it, right? He wants women to say, I want to be a pastor. I want to be a deacon. Why can't I be? And getting upset about that yeah. because you're not fruitful when you're upset. But wait, you know what he does for men? I don't want That's to lead the passivity. Dude, I'm yeah. called to lead. I don't want to lead. Yeah, right. I want to I do something else. I want to be passive. For men, our temptation is to do nothing. That's exactly It's right. to do nothing. Yeah. So I don't want to have this yoke of leadership. Do you know how many problems I have when I lead? Oh, these complaints here, this stressful schedule here, all this weighing on me. It's a, it's a burden. It, it is a burden. Yes. But instead of embracing that burden with joy, which is what men are called to do, Satan tells men, oh, you don't need this. Just yeah, lay down that burden. Right. Don't just rest. Don't do so. I feel like what Satan does is flips the roles. And I'm not saying women are passive, but I'm saying like men, what we're called to do, Satan's like, do the exact opposite. You're yeah. called to lead, don't do it. Don't. Women, you're called to come alongside of, let let the pastor lead who's a man. Mm-hmm. A lot of times the temptation is, I want that, Yes. right? So for both of us, we have our own temptations for men to lay down the yoke of leadership, for women to take up the yoke of leadership 
and neither is part of God's plan, and both makes us fruitless. Yeah. Well, I mean, I probably have said it before on the show. What, what is the what is the the curse on 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 men and women? And when you read Genesis chapter three, God tells Eve, "Your desire will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you." This like power struggle. It's that same that word that desire. It's desire um, for the same the same the same word that is described uh, whenever God uses um, whenever God talks to Cain when he's mm-hmm. about to kill Abel. It's that. Mm. It's desire, sin's desire is for you, but you must rule over it. What is that? You know, that's the same. Yeah. So you must, you must rule over sin. Okay. So say no. You know, put it in its place. Like mm-hmm. no. Their desire for the woman will be because of sin, because of our sinful nature and our sinful desire. Our desire for the woman will be to rule over, to have the the position of the man, and the man must must say no mm. like that, that is i mean the, the fallen world was the topsy-turvy but the man must guard that role mm-hmm. shoot yeah. and i mean yeah. like we see things when they're when they're out of whack we see when when the interchange the, the interchangeable the uninterchangeable nature but we see when they when men start taking on the female role or the female starts taking on men man's role we see it start affecting family we see it affecting the kids we see it affecting the man and the woman mm-hmm. it doesn't work well i mean no so we're i mean god's I way works here, best. yeah here as loud and clear is that we're trying we're we're trying to encourage real flourish true flourishing that is based on god's reality that's yeah, yeah. and flourishing happens when you do what you're supposed to do and listen uh, this is i think the hard part because we're all fallen yeah and we all are drawn by that pull to do that which we ought not do. Like the pull of passivity is just as hard, if not harder on me now than it was when I was younger, right? Like now that I have more of a burden of leadership on me, that pull of passivity, like just just do nothing. Mm-hmm. It's still there, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But I have to submit myself to God and you know, ask for that joy because I do often find joy in leadership. There's great joy in living out that role God has given me. Absolutely. Great joy. But that joy is usually only when I'm walking with him, in him, where I'm praying, like, God, help me to be productive in this. Bring glory to yourself through this. Help me to be a good father. Help me to be a good husband. When I'm praying those things, and I've been trying to pray that every day, every day when I wake up, I try to give my day to God. And, like, I find joy in those moments when I'm walking as he would have me walk. So if you're feeling the pull to do that, which you ought not, if you're a man and you're feeling that pull to be passive, give that up to God. Yeah. Ask him for that joy because there is, I promise you, I am far more joyful now that I am in more of a leadership role and walking as a man as God would have me. I'm not perfect, but that joy is exponentially greater than I've ever experienced. And if you're a woman, I don't know what it's like to be a woman because I'm a man, but if you feel that pull to fight for that leadership role, give that up to God, right? Because you will find joy in living out that role that God has given you, right? Whether it is in any ministry that you are able to serve in biblically, in parenting, in coming along, like mentoring girls, like that's one of the roles we haven't even talked about, but like women are called, the older women in the church are called to mentor. The scripture tells them, show the younger women how to be good wives to their husbands. Yeah. Like that's, 
that discipleship, which churches rarely ever touch on, yeah. that is a leadership role where w- older women can lead younger women and show them. Mm-hmm. Like you'll find fulfillment in that and joy in that. Instead of trying to fight against that which God has made, fight for that which God calls you to. Yes. Amen. What if we had, this is interesting, This hey, be open-minded here. What if we had an episode on what we believe to be biblical femininity? Okay. I'm in. I'm in. Um, I, I think I, I might want to maybe wear a helmet okay. afterward for okay. the rocks that might come my way. But yeah, no, I think that'd be a great episode. Uh, with keeping in mind that you know we're we're men yes. and we don't understand what it's like to be a woman, <laughs> but we're also men and understand w- what our desire of yeah. femininity is for a feminine yes. helper. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I think we could speak to that. Yeah, for I sure. Maybe some ladies listening because we do have. Ladies. We do. Uh, yeah, we actually. We, I think we're like fifty fifty. Yeah, maybe they would like one of them would like to be a guest on the show. Whoa, I don't, I don't we're know. getting radical now. <laughs> we're getting radical, Ben. Yeah, I mean, why not? I'm, it tis the season. I'm in a giving mood, wow. so maybe I'll give a little bit on that. It's generous. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very generous and humble. <laughs> and on that note, I think it's time to pack it in. So, yeah, just to wrap it all up, just you'll find joy if you grow where God has planted you. Not to be cliche, but honestly, if God's made you a man, live out that biblical masculinity. If God's made you a woman, live out that biblical femininity, and you'll find joy there. All right, well, thank you all for listening and coming along for the ride with us. It's It's been a bit of a trail today, but it's been a good one. So I hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed uh, speaking through this. And if you like the show, feel free to subscribe, share it, uh, leave a written review on whatever platform you listen on. If you would like to support the show, thank you very much to our supporters that we have. Really appreciate it. If you'd like to support go to headofnations.com, click the support tab. If you have questions, comments, remarks, send them to us at info at headofnations.com. And as always, remember, we are the head of our nations, so let's go live like it. Until next time.